Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Gina Chung joins us today from Chicago. Gina is a DHL vice president and head of DHL's America's Innovation Center, where she is responsible for both that facility, which is DHL's central platform for innovation in the Americas, as well as a broader portfolio of innovation projects with DHL's operations and customers on topics like IoT, analytics, wearables, collaborative robotics, and automation. A part of those global efforts, Gina has led DHL partnerships with various digital industrial innovators, including Ubimax, Locus Robotics, Fetch Robotics, Doorbot, and others. Gina, it's such a blast to get to watch you stand up the America's Innovation Center from the very beginning while I was still living up there in Chicago. And I'm really excited to have you on the show to talk about all that amazing innovation you're working on. So welcome to Heavy Hitters. Thanks, Ty. Um, and happy to um, be here. And thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, we always love to start with background. So walk us through yours and, and what led you into this current role leading the DHL America's Innovation Center. <laughs> yeah, sure. It is a pretty unique role. I um, have a pretty interesting story on how I got here. Um, so the long story short is um, I majored in supply chain um, as part of my studies in New Zealand. That's where I get the crazy accent from. And um, during my last year, DHL had um, this innovation contest, um, logistics innovation. And this was all the way back in 2010. And um, I submitted an idea for a digital freight marketplace, um, got chosen as one of the winners, and uh, they flew me over to the innovation center in Germany. And I ended up staying there. And then, you know, nine years later, here I am um, running my very own innovation center um, out here in Chicago. Awesome. Well, you were way out ahead of the digital freight marketplace or DFB, DFM. I can't keep up with they call it anymore. So you, <laughs> you, you were part of the initial wave. All right. I like it. Set you up well for this discussion. So we've mentioned this DHL America's Innovation Center a couple times already, generally. So let's just set the stage for the listeners. Give us a little more context. When and why the three centers were started? I know there are others beyond just the America's Innovation Center. What you're focused on accomplishing within the center and how your efforts ultimately tie back to DHL's other global initiatives. Yeah, so when I first joined DHL, we only had the one innovation center in Germany, um, and that one had been um, launched since 2007. It was actually the first um, logistics innovation center of its kind in the industry. Um, and then we launched our second one in Singapore in 2015. And then, um, as I mentioned, I came to Chicago to help build and launch the America's Innovation Center in 2019. Um, and we're currently actually working on a mobile version for um, Dubai. It's a bit secret squirrel, but that should be launching um, in a few months as well. Uh, but the main purpose of these centers, I always like to explain, especially to technical people, that it's not an R&D lab full of, you know, hundreds of programmers and engineers. For us, um, DHL being in the services industry, being a logistics provider first and foremost, um, it's more of a platform that kind of serves as the central hub for DHL's innovation activities in the region, as well as also the central platform to engage with our top customers on supply chain innovation. So annually, we have around 15,000 visitors coming to the innovation centers to engage specifically on supply chain trends and innovation. So on a single day, um, you know, we could be hosting a top e-commerce company, 
demoing robots, brainstorming ways to automate their um, fulfillment operations. And then later that afternoon, uh, we could be hosting a top automotive company um, and brainstorming ways that we can use, you know, analytics for a whole host of other supply chain um, services that we provide for them. Um, so I always like to say it's kind of the place to be discussing supply chain tech. And um, me personally, um, I kind of, I focus on running the um, America's Innovation Center as a facility, as a kind of experience platform. Um, but then secondly, I also am responsible for uh, running a portfolio of innovation projects um, like automation, um, IoT analytics that actually drive in the impact um, and change in our operations and in the industry. Yeah, and ha having walked the halls with you, um, I, I really encourage our listeners. It's an amazing facility up there in Chicago. If you if you ever have a chance or you're in the neighborhood, you should definitely reach out to Gina because to your point, Gina, it's not just an R&D lab. You guys are putting that into real-world applications and, and, and showing those customers that tangible approach to engaging in these new innovative technologies that are coming out. So big fan here. Obviously, that's uh, an understatement. And so maybe one of the things that I, I thought was awesome about a couple of things on the wall here we'll talk about. At the Innovation Center, you really have a front row seat to where the future of logistics innovation is headed, and you've actually developed a logistics trend radar to share those insights back publicly, and that's what I was mentioning was on the wall, I think, in one of those sections we walked through. Definitely encourage our listeners to get online and check out the logistics trend radar as well. So building that all up, our audience loves hearing about latest technology trends and hot topics out at the forefront. So let, let's kick off some of the discussion, a section I've somewhat called what's hot, what's hype, and let's outline both where there is application momentum and maybe what is promising, but we still have got a long way to go. But would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, and uh, speaking of um, the Innovation Center, um, for all the heavy hitters podcast listeners, you're more than welcome to come. Um, if you refer to this podcast, um, it's you know an open platform for people to come visit. So it'd be great to have um, some of the folks involved in supply chain manufacturing um, innovation um, uh, joining us there. Um, in terms of what's hype and what's hot, let me think. Um, I'll start with hype, um, and you always have to be kind of cautious about hype because it usually bites you in the ass a few years <laughs> later, but um, I think there has been a, a lot of hype um, the recent years about 5G, um, and this goes back actually many more years for me when we'd have, you know, carriers approaching us to have workshops about the 5G revolution, as they called it, in 2020, and um, quite frankly, it hasn't really arrived, um, nor has it really found wide sweeping applications for us yet in logistics. Um, so I'm not trying to discount the power of 5G. I can totally you know, see it being the enabling um, technology that powers autonomous vehicles on the roads in the warehouse, and we have more kind of tech heavier operations, um, but there's just not a whole lot of 5G applications right now. Um, so I think that's kind of a bit of a hype. Um, I think mm -hmm. there's other um, uh, network technologies that are delivering more impact today um, outside of 5G. Um, and then in terms of what's hot, uh, I know that this is a bit um, known, right? But automation um, in robotics and warehousing and distribution, specifically in North America, um, it is not, not a hype. It is definitely heating up, um, especially as a result of COVID. Um, so I think uh, adoption will accelerate in coming years. Um, first for robots that are used for um, assisting order picking and sortation because that's very labor intensive, very time critical. Um, you know, got to get your orders out ASAP. 
but I still think that, um, you know, where we haven't reached that flipping point is for um, the bulk of um, warehousing um, equipment, autonomous forklifts, reach trucks. Um, and I think we're getting there um, and it's exciting to see that. I think we're at the cusp of it. Um, so once we get those robots that meet the you know, price points and performance of um, equipment today or even better, um, that will be the flipping point that I personally think for the industry when it comes to robotics and automation, not being a hype, not being just you know, a, hot, a hot trend, but just something that is a core part of every um, warehousing operation. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind, I could go on, but the other one that comes to mind is um, sustainability. Um, also something that has been discussed for many years, but it is a huge topic right now internally at DHL, but also with our customers. Absolutely. Well, especially on just the AMR section, you were responsible with the Locus and Fetch uh, partnerships. Locus is now a billion-dollar valued company. Fetch just got gobbled up by Zebra. I think it was $290 million. So we're watching people start to make their moves quickly. So love that one. And I'm going to hit on the sustainability because you guys just made some major news earlier this year, and it's obviously a hot topic of sustainability in supply chain, as you mentioned. I think DHL correct me if I get my numbers wrong here, a few months back, planned to be emission-free by 2050. And as a part of that effort, pledged to invest $8 bucks so that by 2030, 60% of DHL's last-mile delivery vehicles are electric and one-third of the fuel requirements in your aviation and line-haul operations are going to be covered by sustainable fuels. I know that's a mouthful, but that's a heck of an announcement. So I, I'm curious to ask, what catalyze this enormous amount of sustainability activity and, and why is it so critical to DHL's future? Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of the um, announcements and investments that we're making on sustainability. It's going beyond, um, you know, just planting more trees, which is historically what a lot of companies have been doing. Um, I think now is really the time that we make those serious investments, right? Um, how can we seriously actually adopt sustainable fuels in aviation um, and, you know, ocean freight as well and pass those um, savings along to customers? So I think that's kind of why we're, you know, making these announcements because it's no longer about just offsetting um, by planting more trees and other things, but it's really about making some of those core investments. Um, and why it's so important, I mean, it's no secret that logistics, as much as I love the industry, it's an enormously heavy polluter. Um, you know, cargo ships, you'd be shocked at how much pollution, um, you know, the standard ocean freight liner generates. Um, there's air freight, right, um, traveling all across um, the world um, to deliver freight. There's, you know, thousands or well, millions of trucks around the world. I think DHL alone, we have over 100,000 vehicles that we contribute, um, you know, and, and pollutes um, the air. There's plastic and packaging. So there's all sorts of things that, you know, are constantly adding up. E-commerce has played an even larger role in increasing the amount of waste, I personally believe, in the industry. And uh, we've been doing um, a lot since especially 2008 or so when we launched the first Go Green logistics program um, in the industry. Um, and since we launched it, we've actually been beating our own targets that we set um, of reducing our CO2 emissions. And we could have continued down that path, um, but what we were seeing was, you know, one, uh, the increasing consumer demand for sustainability that's always been a constant, but it's really getting um, louder and louder, um, especially in certain markets that we're operating in. And the second one was just, you know, obviously at a global level, we're not making enough progress, uh, whether that's, you know, 
Paris Climate Change Agreement um, some years back. Um, you know, lots of discussions even about whether climate change was real. But for us, it was so obvious that uh, we had to make some of, some of these big announcements and then the big investments behind it. And um, it's not just us. Um, what's also fueling that um, being a very customer centric company is our customers are really demanding it. Um, they're demanding us as their logistics partner to um, drive more sustainable solutions, reduce our footprint and the supply chains that we operate for them. So I think it's a number of these different factors that essentially kind of catalyzed us to uh, really make these enormous investments in the near future. Well, it's going to be uh, amazing to watch because you guys do have a big logistics footprint. And so um, I think you guys will be a standard bearer going forward. It'll be fun to watch. So Gina, maybe pushing this forward here, we've talked about trends. Now let's now let's dive into the reality of actually deploying and scaling these innovative solutions within real-world supply chain settings. And you and I talked at length at your facility about how notoriously hard it is for many of these solutions to break out of, I'll use this dreaded word, pilot purgatory, right? So what has made and is honestly still making scaling these new technologies and supply chain environments difficult? And do you feel anything is salient that's changing to help speed that adoption curve? Yeah, uh, always a great discussion because I think we, there's always you know shared learnings there. Um, but I think what still makes scaling in our industry difficult is just the nature of the the beast, right? Um, logistics is also infamous for being very fragmented. There's um, literally millions of different trucking companies in the world. Um, there's every single IT system I feel like that existed is still being used in the industry in some way or another. Um, so to have kind of a sweeping innovation that you can easily roll out to, for example, our 2000 warehouses is going to be very tough um, and it's also going to be very slow. So um, there's a couple of things that uh, we've been really focusing on to speed adoption. I think the first thing um, be before you know talking about IT and some other stuff has got to be the culture. Um, so being um, logistics, it's been, you know, a bit of a laggard when it comes to adopting new tech. Um, so having that willingness to explore, that willingness to change the patients, to work with startups, especially bringing their solutions to the industry. Um, that's the first thing that you need to have grounded in your organization is, is that willingness and that cultural uh, mindset to um, drive innovation. And that in turn will actually help solve some of the other challenges that we face and still face in pockets of um, DHL that um, I encounter, like, you know, cash, having the the, the budget for um, investing in innovation projects and having that dedicated so it's not just um, something that we constantly have to, um, you know, co-fund and, you know, scrap every dollar. Um, and then resources that not everyone's just doing this on the side because side projects usually also fizzle out, uh, but having dedicated resources um, to push, um, you know, digital and innovation agendas forward. So there's, there's been, we've kind of been night and day in terms of, I think, the cultural change that's happened, especially since I joined DHL. Um, so it's been a huge improvement. Um, some of our business units now have these dedicated programs um, just focused on um, innovation. There's targets. There's a lot of change management. Um, there's a lot of kind of ways that we try to uh, disseminate knowledge and um, 
um, like kind of yeah, information metrics about some of the innovations that we're rolling out. So that's been absolutely huge. Um, and if you talk to any startups um, that are um, working in that program, um, they'll just say how easy it is to work with DHL and how organized we are to scale um, after a pilot. Um, but that's not consistent across all our business units. Um, and then the other one, um, if I had to pick one more, um, I think the big elephant is always um, IT. Um, so that kind of goes back to the original um, uh, point that I mentioned of the industry being fragmented. Um, you know, it, we're, we as a company are built on acquisition after acquisition. So we have all sorts of different IT systems um, that aren't modern, that are, a lot of them are quite ancient in my view. So, um, you know, a lot of startups will come and be like, oh, you know, we've got this awesome, you know, cloud system and, um, you know, we just need to connect to your APIs and, you know, they'll just get blank stares <laughs> um, from mm -hmm. our people or from our customers. And they're like, you know, we're using manual or we're doing EDI. And, um, you know, what is an API sometimes, right? And, you know, everyone will kind of look at each other wide-eyed. Um, so, you know, one of the key things is, you know, designing systems um, that are, that can scale um, in our industry. At the same time, we as a company um, need to invest a lot more into things like, you know, APIs, things that accelerate that IT integration. And uh, one of the things, uh, one of the big learnings from doing all these robotics projects, personally, the last years has been, um, especially that integration to the back end, very time consuming, very expensive, not very scalable. If you're doing it site by site by site, that's all running on different warehouse management systems. Um, so one of the investments that we've made together with um, some partners in the industry um, is our robotics hub. Uh, which um, will enable us to essentially plug and play um, different robotic solutions into a variety of different um, warehouses and warehouse management systems. Um, so that cuts time and cost dramatically. And that's just one of the, the big changes that we've made the last years to get out of pilot purgatory <laughs> at DHL. <laughs> well, I couldn't resonate more. It has to start with the culture, right? Because I, I think you could probably honestly argue when you use the word IT, a lot of these groups don't have anything at all, let alone, you know, at least you're battling the EDI versus API discussion where, where most are still at the starting line. So I think it's it's just impressive for as large an organization uh, to funnel all of its innovation resources and try to help cut that pilot purgatory phase down. Um, so again, guys, you got to reach out to Gina if you've got something you're working on that um, you think could be applicable. And, and maybe Gina, a part of this discussion and, and on this podcast, venture capital plays a role into the, into the digital industrial theme. When corporations usually are going through these startup innovator efforts to help scale solutions that have come across their desk, a lot of attention sometimes gets placed on um, the word corporate venture capital investing alongside those efforts. And uh, as I understand, DHL does not have a formal corporate venture capital arm. So I'm curious, how do you think about this facet of startup engagement? Is it needed from your experience? And are there any pros, cons that you guys have thought about uh, of investing in these startups you're partnering with? Yeah, I mean, um, the venture capital topic, it's something that we have discussed um, at the board level several times. Um, I mean, we still invest into um, key startups, key partners via our traditional kind of M&A process, but we don't have that kind of dedicated classic corporate ventures team. Um, so what we do instead um, is we form partnerships early on with key startups. Um, on one hand, you know, we use our scale and um um, yeah, willingness to, to kind of craft, a, you know, commercially positive relationship with startups. But on the other hand, the main thing that we've been focusing on is ourselves. 
Um, so, you know, the best thing would be to actually get the solution, scale it out so that we can deliver benefits, be more competitive on the market. Um, so that's why we've been investing in things like our, um, you know, accelerated digital program, our robotics hub, um, to be able to actually do the scaling and get and reap the benefits that we want. Um, but in terms of like a financial upswing from um, investing in a startup, I, I, I'm um, pro it. I think what would need to happen is one, that cultural change um, across our leadership, right? That, um, you know, we're willing to invest in a wide variety of startups. A lot of it might not work out, but that's just part of um, venturing. And the second one is the capabilities. Um, so the capabilities to be able to, um, you know, invest into the right startups um, and have also that expertise and domain knowledge to do that well. I think that's also something that we'd need to develop and then, um, you know, if I look at some of the drawbacks of investing, I've also, you know, talked to a lot of other corporate venture capital folks and I think, um, and also people from the business. Um, and, you know, one of the, I think, drawbacks has been if you do strategic investing, you you start to create a pressure to, for the business to then adopt it. Um, and I've also seen that hasn't worked so well in, in a lot of instances as well. Um, so I think, it's something that we're still trying to figure out. Um, we're generally very pro kind of, you know, looking at investing, um, but we don't have that kind of formal setup yet. Gotcha. Well, it'll be fun to watch how you guys think about it going forward. Um, so Gina, next question, aligned to the topic of the human element that is mission critical to all of us. There is now tons of literature out there about the effects that industry 4.0 will have on our global skilled labor pool, especially within the logistics environments, right? And some are in the camp that we actually have a skilled labor shortage. If you look at some recent Deloitte Manufacturing Institute research, I think they said 2.1 million jobs will go and filled in these environments by 2030, simply because we don't upskill and have the, the training to bring those jobs into the 21st century per se, right? And then there's others who are on the opposite end of the spectrum with robots and deep tech applications are going to just eliminate everyone's job, right? That's Martin Ford, Rise of the Robots, book 101. What, where do you stand on the topic? And, and ultimately, what should we be doing to prepare for the future of skilled labor within these, again, I'll use the word industry 4.0 settings? So I, um, that's a Great question, um, and it's a very hot topic, uh, even just within DHL at the moment. We're actually just in the process of publishing a um, future of work report from our perspective at the end of the year, so I'll make sure to share that with you afterwards. Um, but I think, you know, how I see this, and uh, it's my personal view, is I'm a bit more of an optimist. Um, I think from everything I've seen, logistics is a people business, and that part will never go away. Um, I mean, if you just take the last 18 months, right, no algorithm could have helped predict and, you know, autonomously navigate what, what we had to do to just, you know, keep our business running in a safe way and handle all of the different complexities that came with um, COVID-19. Um, and that's kind of what I mean by you still need people in the process um, at all layers of the organization. Um, if I take a few steps back and look into kind of the future, what is clear, and I've talked about it, is um, physical automation, digital automation, it will continue to grow in adoption, especially as performance increases, price points get better, um, but this will hit countries at different speeds. Um, so we talk a lot about automation here in the US, maybe in Japan, maybe in the UK, but um, in different parts of the Americas, you know, that's so far away if you just look at, you know, the hourly wage rate. Um, and if I look then, all right, here in North America, where we have the highest rates of automation, 
Um, and I look at currently the labor situation in our industry, we have, um, like to, to the Deloitte study, we have a labor shortage. Um, and it's not something that's just been caused by COVID, maybe it's exacerbated it, um, but we've been talking about driver shortages for almost 20 years now as an industry. Um, we were discussing it even before COVID happened, just shortly before. Um, so it is something where um, I think some of these jobs we will have, um, you know, have an aging population, people don't want to do these jobs anymore. Um, so we do have a labor shortage in some parts where automation will um, help us bridge that gap. Um, and then at the flip side, we have e-commerce fueling all of this massive growth in the industry. Um, and e-commerce, um, it is more labor intensive. It's a lot more complex. Um, and that in itself will continue to allow us to invest and grow new jobs. Um, and then I guess if you wanted to be kind of more, um, you know, negative or critical, you could say, you know, automation is going to happen at a wide scale sometime, at some point in the future. Um, so I think what what needs to happen in parallel even today is um, governments um, and industry really jointly setting policies and programs to help understand where the workforce and to what scale we think the workforce could be impacted. Um, how do we reskill and upskill the workforce? Um, and then I think the, the opportunity there is actually huge because unlike previous transformations that we've gone through um, as an industry or just industries in general, like, you know, coal factories closing and, and mining industries closing, leaving entire towns without jobs. I think, um, you know, with the type of work that's available today, it's, it's digital, right? We're even talking about, could you remotely operate a warehouse? I think that will allow so much more work to happen in different communities. Um, but it is a huge challenge that will need to be addressed. Um, but I, I do remain more on the kind of optimist, um, optimist uh, as an optimist. Well, incredibly thoughtful as always, and I, I'm in your camp. I'm very much an optimist. Now, we definitely need to have the right training resources and upskill the talent to take advantage of these jobs, but logistics is such a people business, and, and I'm pretty sure if there was a better time during the pandemic for robots to swoop in and take everyone's jobs, um, I'm pretty sure it would have been there, and I don't think that was the case in any stretch of the imagination. So, a lot of work ahead to do, but I, I'm with you, Gina, very much in the optimist camp here. Um, so let's push it forward. And I always love to bring some of the discussion back to the founders out there who are maybe thinking about partnering within the DHL innovation centers. What gets you excited about these new startup companies that are approaching you? And maybe let's break it apart. Some keys to success for them as they start to approach you. And then also maybe some common pitfalls, challenges for them to avoid as they enter that discussion. Yeah, I think so many things. Um, I'm always excited about, you know, startups that's trying to create a fresh approach to an age-old um, problem or, um, you know, uh, there's so many things, there's so many opportunities to improve the way that we do logistics today to make it more efficient. I think keys to success, um, I would say one thing that I've I've really um, kind of banged the, the pot is to know the industry. Um, so a lot of the times, especially early stage startups, um, they have phenomenal technical knowledge. Um, but when, you know, I get them into a room with our operations um, and, our, and our industry experts, and um, you start to ask very kind of basic questions or, you know, oh, I'll just connect into your one IT system, right? And it's like, no. Uh, so I always say, you know, get an industry expert either as a advisor or a team member, and that'll just help um, kind of, you know, um, drive adoption, you know, get your, get your foot in the door, um, but also develop a better product that will work for um, our environment. All great advice. 
Well, let's wrap up here with what we call quick hitters, a little bit of rapid fire Q&A. So, Gene, if you're ready, we'll jump in. All right. Sounds good. What is the number one thing you look for when evaluating a logistics innovating founder? Number one thing, um, I mean, I would say, you know, passion for the industry. Um, I think passion will drive um, the founders to develop a better product. Um, it'll allow them to also really understand our world um, a lot more um, and, you know, successfully engage in, in, with our stakeholders. Great. One resource could be book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend to our audience to follow within the ecosystem. Um, this will be a shameless plug, but um, the logistics trend radar that you mentioned earlier, um, it is kind of our, our, I don't want to say Bible, but maybe our dictionary, uh, not a dictionary, but our, it's a kind of key tool for um, logistics trends and understanding what the applications are, what the challenges are. Um, so that's all available online on our website um, as a study, but also as an interactive tool. So I definitely recommend that. Yeah, great plug. Um, I'll just double down <laughs> on it. People should go look at it, look it up. Uh, one person who should be on the podcast, Gina. Um, one person I, I've seen who's been on heavy hitters and you already have phenomenal speakers. Um, if there's one maybe just tied to the whole future of work discussion, um, Elizabeth Reynolds. Um, she used to be a professor um, at MIT leading the kind of task force on work of the future. I've had a number of awesome discussions with her about the impact of automation on manufacturing and supply chain. Um, she recently left um, MIT to take up a role in the White House as, um, I think, a special assistant to um, the president for manufacturing and economic development. Um, but she would be a, just a fantastic speaker to get her perspective on um, what does future of work actually mean here in, in the U.S.? Absolutely. It, finally, best way for folks to reach out to you? Um, LinkedIn. Um, you can also shoot me a note, um, gina.chang at dhl.com. Um, but yeah, it would be great to also hear from some of the people listening, um, their thoughts on supply chain innovation. Awesome. Well, Gina, thanks again for jumping on. Uh, I can't wait to get back up to Chicago, see the latest, greatest at the Innovation Center. But uh, fun chat, and we'll uh, we'll have you on again soon. Fantastic. Thanks, Ty.